I'm Shane Burke with the Marketing Growth Podcast. Today we have Brett Helling here with GigWorker. I'm really excited to have him talk about starting, building, and growing websites. He'll also share what made him enter the gig economy industry and how the gig market is going to evolve during the coming years. Before we hear from Brett, let me tell you that my team and I can help you grow your website traffic, generate more leads for your business, and drive conversions with SEO, content marketing, and CRO services. If you need help with anything related to sales and marketing, connect with me through shanebarker.com. That's S-H-A-N-E-B-A-R-K-E-R.com. Brett, thank you so much for being on the podcast, my friend. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, you know, we were really interested in talking about this space just because of, you know, obviously we kind of see the potential and where things are going with it. And the fact that you being a thought leader in the space and you wrote your book that I will kind of go into a little later, um, I, I felt very honored that you'd be able to be on the podcast. So here we are today. So I'm excited. I The way that we usually start the podcast off is, you know, for us, we always like to get to know the guest a little bit. And so I like to ask some questions um, about, you know, your background and where you grew up and just to kind of set the foundation a little bit. And so I think we'll just start there. So like, where did, where did you grow up at, man? Uh, I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska. That's where I grew up. I still live here. My friends and family are really close. And kind of what they say about Omaha is, you know, you always come back if you born here. So um, I travel a lot, so I get out. Uh, the Midwest is great. Everybody's very nice, but it's just, there's not a ton going on here. So I guess College World Series is next week. So that's, if you like baseball, that's a, that's a thing to check out. But yeah, just uh, friends and family kept me here. And that's, that's where I'm at now. That's awesome. Yeah, I think, you know, that's the thing is, you know, for me, and, you know, they always say people, are, oh, you don't ever leave your hometown. I, I think, you know, sometimes if you got your friends and your family there, you can always go other places and go hang out and then come back and come home to your home base. I mean, it is nice to have friends and family in a place that you come home that you can call home. So, you know, I, you know, I've done, I live in Sacramento, California. I've done plenty of traveling outside of that. Um, a lot of it is because of my speaking events and, or, you know, speaking events before COVID, I guess now it's more webinars and, and uh, online based stuff. But um, I think that's awesome, man. I think it's, you know, I've never been to Omaha, Nebraska, but I've heard good things about it. Um, in fact, that's on my list of places to, to visit actually, because here in the U.S., because, um, Anyways, I, I have some friends that actually just moved out there. Um, and anyway, so it's, it's on, it just made my, my fresh list of, of my new, my list of probably 50 places I want to go here in the next few months. Like I've gone a little COVID crazy. So I'm like ready to get out and start doing some traveling here in the U.S. Um, so how big was your family growing up, man? Uh, my family was, there were four kids and obviously my mom and my dad. And I have a twin brother. So that's kind of a fun fact about myself. And we have twin dogs and we live, uh, he lives in my old house. So he got engaged. Uh, I bought a new house, sold that house to, uh, to him. And it was kind of funny to see the neighbors. They're like, Hey, yeah. Um, we're really sad to see you go. <laughs> then he came back and they're like, wait, what the heck? I was like, yeah, that don't ask. That's, <laughs> but That's um, yeah, so then I have two younger sisters. I'm the oldest. And then my twin brother. Gotcha. So are you older with your twin brother? How much older? Uh, four minutes. Four minutes. Yeah, that's it. That four minutes is big. So you can now you say you're the big brother, huh? That's it could have been the other way around. So thank goodness you were on top there. The um, that's funny. So did you and I and now I don't know if your brother's gonna listen to this podcast, if you can even tell me the answer to this. But when you sold him the house, you make some money off of him? No, I gave him a heck of a deal. Oh, come on, Brad. Yeah, man, you still gotta that... make some cash, bro. <laughs> Jeez Louise. No, yeah, it's family. So I hope... 
once it appreciates, I might come asking for my check, but we'll see. <laughs> no, I think that's awesome. No, you got it. It's family, man. It's keeps them probably close to the neighborhood. You know, at the end of the day, you're the older brother. So you got to take care of the younger brother, but just think about it. If you were four minutes and one second later that he might've bought that house and he might've given it to you. So I don't know. I, not that we can change history at this point. It is what it is. Um, but that's interesting. So, so any other interesting facts growing up other than you guys have twins, everything between the brothers and the dogs and everything? Um, not so much. Not really. Yeah, no. Family's just uh, very close as a family, still very close now. And as much as I travel and get away from Omaha, it's just it's family that brings me back. So that's kind of just a testament to, to those guys and just how close we are as a, as a nuclear family, which is kind of apparently I'm learning rare to see these days. Yeah. And that's awesome. And to me, I'll tell you, I've always been, I have friends of mine, like my family's close, but we don't have a huge family. Um, but I, I have always been extremely jealous of people that have like very large families that have like family reunions and stuff. My family, like my mom literally lives a mile and a half from me. I see my mom probably three times a week. I see my dad probably at least once a month, always talking on the phone. I'm a very much a family person too. So I totally get that. Like I, I will probably one day leave Sacramento just to get out and, you know, see other places other than, you know, and, and live there for maybe six months at a time. Um, but I probably will always come back to Sacramento. It's just kind of my hub and, you know, friends and family here. I, I don't mind leaving for a little bit, but there's always something that kind of pulls me back. So I get that 100%. And so you, and you currently live there in Omaha right now, correct? Correct. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's very affordable to live here. It's, it gets really hot in the summers, cold in the winters, but overall it's a good, Good home base, kind of like you said before. Yeah. I And do you guys have, I and mean, this is, you know, I'm sure you guys are loving this. I have a lot of people from California, a lot of people moving to Omaha, Nebraska. Have you heard anything about that? Uh, a lot of you guys are going to Texas. Yeah, uh -huh. Austin area. There's not a lot coming to Omaha that, that I know of. Maybe I'm, I could be wrong yeah. there, but... It, it's kind of just a flyover state is what they call it. I know that. I mean, I tell you, I know that a lot of people in California are, are, are parting ways with California for whatever reason, you know, once again, I'm, I, I love California. I think there's some, you know, like any state, I think there's some good things and bad things and stuff like that. But um, I did hear a lot of people, you know, once again, definitely Austin, um, I think Colorado, I have some friends that moved to Nebraska. I've kind of friends, ten, uh, uh, Nashville as well. So there's been, there's been a few cities that have, have jumped on my radar just, and that gives me an excuse to go visit people and then realize that, hey, is that a city I want to live in for six months? So I'm kind of looking forward to that. I'm glad that everybody went and spread out and now I can go visit them. It gives me an excuse to go out there. So oh, that's exactly, awesome. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Where did you go? Did you go to college also in Nebraska? I went to college in, um, we have two state schools. One is in Lincoln. So if you're big into college football, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, that's Lincoln. And then Omaha had a state school, um, University of Nebraska, Omaha, Warren Buffett actually went there. Mm. So I, uh, I went there, I studied marketing and then also management and entrepreneurship. Man, so it doesn't get I, me. Go ahead. I, I wasn't that great at school. I'm not great at a structured learning environment. So I just, I have to pick my passion and really go after that, which is I think kind of where I ended up where I am today. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, though. But I think what's interesting about that is that, you know, it's like, you know, that I always ask the question about majors, because sometimes people have a major that has nothing to do with what they do today. And so I was always intrigued about like what that journey is. 
your journey is not too interesting in the sense, and I mean that in the sense that, hey, I did marketing, I jumped into this space, I jumped into entrepreneurship, like exactly what you were doing in college is what you're doing today. I think that's awesome. It's a, not that the journey was necessarily direct and straight, because I'm sure you had some, you know, like anything in entrepreneurship, you, the ups and downs of maybe working for somebody and doing some stuff, but your major is exactly, well, one of the things very close to what you're doing today. So I, I love that. And then what was your, what was your first job out of college? Out of college, my first full-time job. So I've always been kind of doing the side hustle thing since I was 12. My brother and I had a mowing company because we couldn't legally, we had to be 15 to work. So we started our own little mowing company. We had, I think it was, oh, I forget. I'd have to look back 10 lawns or something like that. But back then that was, that was good money. Yeah. Um, but my first job out of college was my dad owns a big corporate event planning company. So I worked there helping run the IT department and we did projection mapping, all sorts of, you know, incorporating tech and experience, like experience marketing, I guess it was into the live events. So I worked there for a few years and um, on the side, I was just kind of building my, my business, which is now ridester.com, my, my biggest site. And that is, um, I was building that while I was working there on the side. Awesome. Awesome. So it sounds like you're the, um, you got a family business. So your dad's an entrepreneur. So it sounds like you're kind of following on the lines of that and saying, Hey, it looks like dad was doing some big things. Got to jump into some it events, not a bad thing to get into. Now I know COVID probably slowed that down a little bit, but we're, it's probably heating. Things are probably heating back up here pretty soon. Can I imagine? Oh yeah. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They were for a year and a half, they were pretty brutal, but they were, uh, they're coming back now. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I know right now it's like the minute that things are starting to open up, I just have seen concerts and this and things are selling out within minutes and there's going to be a lot more live events. So I'm excited about that. So I'm sure your dad's back in the saddle and, and making things happen. So that, that's good news there. Oh, so yeah. what I want to talk about is the gig economy, right? I think that's really important. And it sounds like you've had a lot of side hustles and side gigs and side things that you've done. And that's probably the reason why you you know wrote the book and the reason why you started um, the websites you have. So tell us about, I want to talk about that, your professional journey from being like the rideshare driver to like a gig economy expert. Like what was, what was the transition? They're like, give us, I want to hear that story. So it was actually kind of an accident. So I signed up for Uber when they came to Omaha, Nebraska, you know, they, they had it in Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York, Boston, kind of the big cities. Um, but once they perfected the model there, they rolled it out just nationwide to smaller cities like Omaha. And in doing so, though, when when Uber and Lyft first came to Omaha, they I signed up to be a driver. It just sounded interesting. I heard the money was pretty good. But the problem was when you signed up and got approved to drive, it was a very easy process. It's much harder now. But back then, they just wanted drivers and they wanted users. And they were only they only gave you a couple, you know, two minute long videos to watch. And that was your training as a driver. So you kind of had to just watch those videos. It showed the basics of pickups and drop-offs. That's really it. Then you just drove around uh, town trying to figure it out yourself. So I took what I learned when I was driving myself, put it in a little blog and what's now ridester.com. Um, that, that site really just kind of took off. So I would just write about it as a little passion project. I thought it was kind of fun, maybe helpful. And that ended up getting a lot of people to it. Um, so it was about 250,000 people just kind of doing my, my thing with it. And then when I really figured out the SEO part with link building and campaigns and 
targeted like SEO content, that's when it really grew. And I grew, ended up growing that to about 1.5 million uh, unique visitors a month. That's awesome. And so that was, and, and give us, what was, so what was Rightster all about? I mean, I mean, you're still, still around, right? You still got it, still a live site. Yeah, yeah. Um, so back then it was just, I would just, it was a little personal blog I had. And when it really started taking off, I started producing content just based on what people were searching for. So people yeah. have questions about how to do ride share as a driver, how to use it as a customer. And so I covered all those types of things. So no matter really where you're at in the life cycle of the uh, ride share space, whether you're a, a driver or a customer, there's lots of information kind of that covers whatever you'd be looking for. And then over the past couple of years, especially in COVID, I branched out into the delivery space as well and kind of some shoulder niches like driver education and things like that. So just all around, how do you do an on-demand driver job is kind of what I'm going for, just, just providing lots of information about that. That's awesome. And then I, I'm curious, like, how do you, how are you monetizing it? Um, it's monetized through affiliate commissions and ad networks. So I just run AdSense on it. I've tried a bunch of different ad, ad, ad networks like Mediavine, Azoic, but AdSense for whatever reason just performs the highest, which is surprising because usually yeah. the premium networks way outperform AdSense. But so that, and then affiliate commissions too. So when I refer people to Uber or Lyft or Postmates or wherever, I get a cut, um, I, I get a, a bonus. Usually they're two-way bonuses. So if I refer a driver, they get a bonus too when they sign up. Yeah, that's a, that's that's a good. Yeah, I, I used to get. I didn't have to pay for Uber for I don't know how many years because of that. I used to do tons of that back in the day with just refer, 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 and it was like I didn't have to pay for anything. It was awesome. I did a lot of those. The refer, the affiliate type stuff is is an awesome business model if you can drive the traffic right. That's obviously the key there. Oh yeah. So, At one point, I had I had hundreds of thousands of dollars in free ride credit. It was insane. You're like the number one guy in the nation. They're like, just give him a car or something at that point. I mean, Jesus, just have somebody personally drive Brett around. Why, why are we even messing around any longer? That's awesome. So I want to talk a little bit about the gig economy, right? So when did you guys come, when did you come up with the idea of doing gigworker.com? So kind of like I talked about a little bit before with Ridester, when I was growing that, I started really going after the content piece of it. So I'd figure out what people are searching for and I'd produce content based on that. And I kind of realized within one site, you can only take it so big being in a niche that narrow. So at the time when I kind of hit that point, it was doing, the site was doing really well. I, I just, I couldn't really figure out how to, how to grow it anymore. I had tried doing rideshare courses. I had tried all sorts of things and it just, it didn't really work like I thought it would. So I kind of just let the site sit and I got kind of bored. So I started learning to fly a helicopter, learning Spanish, just doing all these kind of weird, interesting things that were on my bucket list and just really expedited that. And so I learned to scuba dive and I was just kind of bopping around at the bottom of this pool we have in, in Omaha at a dive facility here. And I looked up at the ceiling and I saw these light bulbs. And I kind of saw that, you know, one light bulb was the rideshare industry, but, you know, Airbnb was a big thing and some Rover, some other like on-demand app apps were popping up that went well beyond ride sharing, but used kind of the same model. 
So I thought to myself, well, why don't I start a website about the gig economy for gig workers? And that's where I branched off into gigworker.com, which is a comprehensive resource, just as Rideshare, Ridester is for ride sharing and delivery. Gig worker is more of a macro view of that. I love that. So you're, you're down there, you're in the water, you don't have that much oxygen in your tank. You look up, you have this crazy, crazy idea of like, hey, I'm doing this for ride sharing. Why don't I do this for the gig workers? And then all of a sudden it all comes to fruition. Who knew? Yeah. Huh? Just give yourself less oxygen, folks, and go into water as deep as you can. And that's where the ideas can happen. This is where it happened for Brett. So that's, that's awesome, man. I love that because really what you're focusing on is the worker side of it, right? So you're looking at like, instead of like the consumer side, you're looking at the person that, the people that are going to be in that position that could either be, once again, a gig worker or somebody that can be in the rideshare situation and, and what's the information that they're going to be looking up and to be able to understand like how to do things and how to do things better. And so you offer that type of content all done through keywords, right? Through content and, and search intent that people are looking at online. Yep, yep. So we're kind of taking a, a backwards approach to it. We're not just producing a website that we think people will want. We're trying to build it around what is most helpful to people based on the data we're seeing. So search queries, uh, rank keyword rankings, things like that. So the idea is to build a, a comprehensive website that kind of shows you what's available. And then once we pair you with one of those roles, will just give you all the information you need to succeed. Kind of like a, if you go to college, you have that, uh, what are they called? Uh, like the college advisor, the court that tells mm -hmm. you which courses to take mm -hmm. and things like that. That's, that's uh -huh. kind of what we're going for. I love it. I love it, man. I'll tell you, it's so funny. There's so many things I want to talk about with that, with you know, the driving of traffic and things that are going on. But I, I definitely want to talk to you about the gig economy because I think that's something that People might kind of think what they understand what it is, but I, obviously you being a, a, an expert in it, I want to talk to you more about that. Like with the gig economy, how do you think it's going to change over the next few years? I mean, there's obviously a lot of things are changing. How do you think the gig economy is going to be affected? I think what happened in 2020 as a re direct result of COVID-19, the shutdowns, particularly work from home, things like that, that is what I thought would happen to the gig economy in the next maybe five to 10 years. But COVID was kind of just a catalyst and really accelerated that, that development. And the biggest takeaway I think is people are looking for side hustles more than ever. They've realized that they can work from home. They've realized that there's a huge demand for services and they're starting to market themselves. That's why we've seen a tremendous rise in online businesses and there's no better time to get in than right now multiples are super high if you sell one um, there's a lot of interest in the space but i think more than ever covid just taught us that we can work from home and in doing so i think people kind of started dreaming and thinking of ideas and they're really getting out there yeah, I'm with you. I think COVID, the, the thing is, is as much bad stuff happened with COVID, I think some really interesting stuff happened as well. I mean, obviously with, you know, things that nobody wants anybody to die and, and the casualties, obviously is, is nothing fun there, but it is interesting and it, it did accelerate our, the necessity to, to pivot, to say, hey, you know, if you have an online, if you don't have an online business, I mean, I, I've been doing tons of stuff for the SBA Small Business Administration. I jumped on with them to help 
um, kind of like, and this is, you know, uh, I don't know there's a great analogy, but you know, somebody's like a volunteer fireman because there's tons of fires. I feel like I did that. I did it with the SBA because I wanted to go in. I knew there was tons of businesses that were going to be affected. They were going to have to transition online and they have no idea how to do that. And we're, you know, we're talking about small businesses, which is the, the lifeline of the United States. Um, and so I felt like that was my responsibility. But the reason I'm telling you that is I think that's the fact that these people are, that everybody's online now and that you, you seem to, you seem to have a knack for like, like finding something like looking at things from a different angle. Cause you know, like, in other words, like you're, you're looking at the people that are going to be working in that space and then taking advantage of it and building a website around that. So it is a kind of a reverse um, situation on how you look at things. Like I, other people create websites around, you know, marketing or something like that, but you, it's just interesting on how you did that. I think it's just your mindset and I think it's, you probably have less competition there as well, right? It's like you become like that third party, like neutral that talks about whatever it is, like the upsides of this and how you can do this and how to educate yourself on, and again, the gig economy and how to you know do your own side hustle and how to do those different types of things. So I, I love the fact that you put that together. I think that's very, I think it's interesting. You seem to be ahead of your time that you're like, there's an opportunity here and then you build the site up. And then all of a sudden, you know, not that you thought COVID was gonna happen, but I think you couldn't have been in a better place you know, at in time for people to start looking up this kind of stuff, like, hey, I want to start doing my own business, or I want to start doing some little side hustles. Um, and you seem to be the king of side hustles. So you got a lot of good stuff going on. I, I appreciate that about you, man. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's great to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what do you think the the future of gig economy looks like? I mean, do you think we talked about the last few years? I mean, what do you think the future of it's going to be? I, I mean, I think it's going to be huge. But obviously, I want to hear your opinion. I think we're seeing a, tr a massive transitional shift away from full-time employment. And there's a lot of people that don't like to hear that. There's a lot of people that, you know, they might disagree with me on it, but I just don't see how it's possible to retain the full-time employment and not use contractors. So as a business owner, for example, um, I've been doing freelance work for an ad agency here in town. And they brought me on to kind of look at inefficiencies, how things we can pad the profit margins and really drive efficiency in offering services. And without kind of upsetting the apple cart, I kept looking and saying outsource. You know, there's people that do the same thing all day. They're really good at it. They're really efficient at it. That's their side hustle. That's now a full-time hustle. That's all they do. So why would we have somebody on staff that can do that when somebody we can hire somebody, outsource things, only use that capacity when we need it. So I'm, I think if you're going to get into gig work, now is a great time because we have business owners thinking like that, especially after a pandemic where they've had to really, you know, ratchet back to a skeleton crew. I think now in doing that, a lot of people are getting into this gig economy, offering services. And a lot of things are a lot more things are getting outsourced and being offered. So there's a lot of demand there. So I think yeah. um, as we go, we're just going to see a, a huge shift in, in how business is done. Yeah, and I'm with you. So I, I mean, I've been so it's so funny. So like when it comes to like outsourcing and team, my team's all remote and has been international for since the beginning, you know, for this business anyways, for my marketing side of things. Um, and I, I love it. You know, I mean, it couldn't, when it comes to, you know, hiring people, cause then you can go find people in their specialty that who cares where they're at, you know, with softwares and everything, you can keep everybody on the same page. It's just very easy to do. When COVID hit for us, it was nothing because we, I mean, it was nothing in the sense that, you know, we didn't have to go and, you know, get out of our offices and stuff. I mean, I had an office here in Sacramento, but there was nothing that we had to necessarily leave. And we, we 
kind of based our thing off of that kind of gig worker. And, you know, most of my, actually all my people are full-time right now, but like they start off as that, as like, like kind of projects and like kind of see if things are going well and things go well, great. Then we bring them on full-time. So thanks listeners. I hope you've learned how effective it has become to be outsourced work and how leveraging the gig economy can be a cost-effective solution for your business, especially in the post-pandemic world. On my next episode, Brett will join us again to talk about growing organic traffic using domain acquisitions. So stay tuned. Stay tuned.